Today's workplace podcast disclaimer, JT Wilson. This podcast is intended to provide general information about various recent developments in employment law and human resources best practices. Nothing in this presentation or in the comments of Ms. Johnson, Ms. Shannon, or any guest should be considered as the rendering of legal or other professional advice, and it is not directed at any specific cases or circumstances. Listeners are responsible for obtaining the necessary advice about their specific situations from their own counsel. These materials are intended for educational and informational purposes only. The presentation and these materials represent the opinions of the participants and not those of their law firms or companies. No part of these materials may be printed, photocopied, or otherwise reproduced, recorded, or stored, or transmitted in any form and by any means, electronic, mechanical, or otherwise, without the prior written permission of today's Workplace Podcast. Welcome to today's Workplace, a podcast created to keep employers current on the latest employment law trends while providing proactive solutions to the everyday issues arising in today's rapidly changing workplace. Is your business prepared for today's workplace? Let's find out with your hosts, Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. Hi, I'm Barbara Johnson. And on our last episode of today's workplace, Belinda Reed Shannon and I spoke with our guest, Angela J. Reddock Wright, and are thrilled to continue our conversation with her on today's episode. We also saw during the pandemic a rise in employee activism. And what were some of the issues, challenges, and controversies sweeping the nation that caused this rise in employee activism? And what are what are some of the other things that are causing it? And then more importantly, what are some of the lessons that we've learned? Right. So the pandemic started officially, or we got that first announcement that there was someone in a Chinese hospital that had this, this possible disease. And that was in de- around December 2019. Some say we, leaders, world leaders knew sooner than that, but let's say December 2019. And then things started to evolve from there, where by March 20th, the World Health Organization had declared a global pandemic. Stay-at-home orders went into effect around the world. So that was March 20th. And then within a couple of months after that is when George Floyd, unfortunately, was was murdered. And that, of course, you know, sent the world into worldwide protests and people and organizations kind of standing up. And what was interesting, we every all we like COVID was floating real fast and easily at that time. But when you look back at, you know, the protests on TV and so forth, I mean, the world stood up in response to that, despite mm-hmm. the risk of being in crowds and so forth. But what we saw happen in corporate America at that time is while HR, while our organizations were trying to manage what, you know, the pandemic, do we have people work, not work? How do we keep, you know, goods and services moving? They now, CEOs around the world had to clearly respond to what had happened with George Floyd because what had been bubbling up even before the pandemic, you know, with the Me Too movement and with Black, that we, we saw be, even before the pandemic, the starting rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think George, the George Floyd's death kind of just reignited and gave even more power to the Black Lives Matter movement and similar movements. Um, 
ultimately even expanding into kind of anti-Asian hate mm-hmm. movement and other, you know, movements from people of color. And so CEOs and organizations had to respond. So what we saw is people taking ads out in the newspaper, CEOs going on TV and making statements about their values and they stand with Black Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera. We know dollars were flowing and donating to many of these organizations. But what we, I believe the three of us saw happening, I certainly saw it happening, is as these pronouncements were being made, these big public pronouncements, many of the employees in these same organizations were saying, wait a minute, CEO, you're putting an ad in the paper. You're going on the news saying how committed you are to these issues. But when we look internally, there is no, I don't feel empowered as a woman of color. I don't feel empowered as a man of color. And so we started to see all sorts of internal complaints of discrimination, uh, many claims which have been kind of bubbling for years, but now people felt empowered with these public statements and with the world being in behind issues of race and culture and bringing attention to these issues. So people who may have sat silently for many years now felt empowered to come forward. And, and what's interesting, not just as a one individual, but as groups of individuals, employees sort of binding together, even in non-union environments to say, we're not going to stand for this anymore. We want to see racial equity in the company. We want to see mm-hmm. Um, individuals get promoted within the company. We want to see salary equity within our company. We want, if you're going to be out preaching and saying something publicly, we want to make sure that you're true to those words in the company. And so from Activision, like Activision or other companies in the gaming mm-hmm. industry, and just so many companies and organizations across the board, employees through this time have felt empowered to become activists within their own organizations and to hold their organizations accountable to their mission, to their values, and to the words that they speak publicly. I think it's been absolutely fascinating. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I think this is the day and the age of the employee. Yeah. And some of it is generational. You've got, you know, a larger number of Gen Zs and and uh, your younger millennials in the workplace that have just come up in an era where uh, they, you know, are very forthright with their voice. So it's I think it's going to continue to be part of the environmental DNA of organizations. Yes, for Um, sure. You know, Angela, you have a um, chapter called COVID-19's Impact on Essential Workers, Women, and Minorities. And isn't it interesting how it took a global pandemic for us to recognize and appreciate the contributions of essential workers? All of a sudden, people who were making minimum wage at a grocery store were the new heroes and took on roles of tremendous importance. Lack of childcare created major challenges, especially for women and minority groups, um, certainly bore the brunt of the pandemic's health impacts. So what are the lessons learned? What are some of the lessons learned about essential workers, women, and minorities as a result of the global pandemic? Yeah, I I think the first lesson is that we need them, right? That we could not have survived (laughs) this time without our essential workers. That's a big one. 
<laughs> exactly. Without the individuals who are the backbone of our society and our, our work culture. So we really should be, every time we run into someone, we should be saying, thank you. We appreciate you. We value you. We thank you for putting your own life on the line, you know, for yeah. the rest of society. We know you had to work. I mean, many unfortunately didn't have a choice, right? They like mm -hmm. either I work and continue to take care of my family or I remove myself because, you know, for safety and, and health concerns, but the great majority of essential workers did continue to show up and not all of their environments were ready, not all of their environment environments had the proper PPE equipment or safety equipment, not all of them knew how to you know, facilitate social distancing in the workplace, all the things to make it safer, even for our essential workers. So one is appreciating them. Two is, you know, I, I earlier I said that this won't be, one, we're still in the middle of COVID, you know, thankfully it's not as bad, but there will be another pandemic, there will be another global crisis. So I think the lesson is to make sure that we prepare for that moment and that we make sure we have all the tools in place to support our essential workers that we're prepared even from a legal perspective that we have laws on the book and in books and i live in, in california which is probably considered the most progressive in the country when it comes to employment laws employee friendly employment laws and so making sure that there are laws in place so that those individuals um, will get the safety equipment that they need that employers will be compelled to put safety measures in place to ensure those individuals are protected. And we have seen a lot of laws come out of this time. But also, you know, make sure that the companies are prepared to show support for those employees, whether it be through child, child care support, if those same employees are having to take care of people at home, family members at home, that they're giving them support, and maybe in terms of added, you know, medical support, home health care, nursing, or added stipends so that they can work, but also do what they need to do with their families. Um, I think we certainly need to be prepared to pay them more if the company's budget will allow to, you know, support them for being on the front lines during that time. But I think we, we just have to be prepared to make major investments in supporting our essential workers, not just in pandemic times, but even, you know, post-pandemic times to continue to let them know that we're not just using you, you know, when the pandemic comes, but we value you and appreciate your contributions to society and the workplace, even when we're not in pandemic times. That's great. We also, uh, another thing associated with essential workers is that, um, and, and all workers actually, is that for decades, um, employers insisted and of course agreed that attendance at work was an essential function of the job. Mm -hmm. um, you know, employers just did not trust employees to be productive if they were not in the workplace and under supervision right. in the workplace. And we recognize that some workers are essential workers who have to be there because of the function that they perform. But for non-essential workers, what have we learned as a result of the COVID pandemic about the need for attendance? physical attendance at the workplace. What does the data show about worker productivity and hybrid work? I guess there's a whole new definition of workplace attendance. 
Yes, yes. And that kind of goes to my first D, which is um, daily commute no more. And basically Mm -hmm. that chapter speaks to the fact that, you know, of course, we had to go to primarily a remote work environment for non-essential workers and in some workplaces, more of a hybrid work environment. But what it taught us is that one employee's appreciated the opportunity to work from home, the great majority of employees. Some expressed loneliness and not having interaction with their colleagues and so forth. But the great majority of people were like, wow, this is what I, it's unfortunate that this had to happen during COVID, but it it's something that I didn't realize how great it could be to have the chance to work from home. And I think in large part, if you live in a metropolis like Los Angeles or DC or someplace like that, New York, where traffic, you know, just it takes mm-hmm. two to three hours a day just to commute on your front and back ends. So just the mere idea of not being in the hustle and bustle, being able to start your day in the morning with a workout or walk or you know, med- prayer, meditation time, or and then get to work just by turning, you know, getting dressed and turning on your computer. That changed so much, and it just changed the quality of life for for so many of people. And then, as people were working, I think the statistics show that many people are working even harder, you know, remotely because it means you almost never turn off your computers. Now, you know, Belinda, I know you, we got to make sure we're managing exempt versus non-exempt employees yes. and so forth. That's, that kind of raises some of the legal issues of managing during these COVID times, remote employees. But I think the statistics show that the productivity rates are even higher, you know, because people, you don't have to be a big brother, as you were saying, like people, for the most part, do what they say they're going to do. Most people are extremely committed to their jobs and extremely committed to doing a good job. And so giving them the bandwidth to work from home while also doing some other things that were important to them and staying out of the hustle and bustle of traveling to work has just been a game changer. And I know they're predicting, I just read an article that in 2023, because of the economy, the downturn in the economy, that many CEOs see that as sort of a perfect storm. Most CEOs want to secretly bring people back to work. And so Mm -hmm. with the downturn in the economy, they're going to use this as an opportunity opportunity to say, okay, everybody's got to get back to work because we've got to be productive. We've got to navigate these tough times. And if you want a job, because they know people need their jobs with interest rates going up, with, you know, 401k plans being challenged um, and just with the, with prices being higher, um, I think we're past the time resignation and people sort of focusing in on, okay, I need to sit tight because I really need my job. And I think CEOs and organizations are going to take advantage of that and are going to start bringing people back to work. But I think there's going to be a lot of unhappy people. Um, There's going to be a lot of resistance, but the resistance may not be as strong or it may not be as successful as it has been in this last two years where Mm -hmm. basically employees said, well, fire me, you know, if you're going to force me to come back to work, fire me. I think uh, most people are going to return, although reluctantly, but you're going to have a lot of unhappy people on your hands. Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that, Angela. We had a guest not long ago, Jay Jamrod, who talked about kind of trends in um, 
the workplace. And one of the statements he made is that attendance does not equal culture. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to create, you know, sometimes people believe that you can't create culture unless you have employees in the seats at work. And that certainly that's not true. Mm -hmm. Is that employee engagement and how can you create that engagement remotely? But I want to- This is one quick area where I think many law firms have gotten it right. Law firms are notorious, big law firms are kind of notorious for sort of being behind the times in, in technology and moving with workplace culture and so forth. But I've been kind of talking to a number of law firm leaders and I said, hey, are you guys you know, bringing lawyers back to the office? And they've pretty much decided lawyers, I mean, we're all pretty much type A personality, self-motivated, self-driven. So not surprising. They're like, yeah, they don't have to be in the office to work, but we do miss the camaraderie of being in the office. And for young associates, they're not getting that one-on-one time to be mentored, yeah. to be relationships and so forth. So what a lot of law firms are doing, they're doing like one or two days in the, everybody in the office on the same day during the week, just that more so to have camaraderie, collaboration, um, they bring in a great lunch, yep. they bring in a trainer, you know, they make it to where that day is going to be engaging and super yep. energized and people are going to be excited to come in. So I think, you know, doing things like that, you know, where you have a culture of people that are going to get their work done, they're going they will be, you know, motivated, self-motivated to do their work, but looking, and this is where HR, the great HR comes in, looking for ways to keep them engaged, to keep building teams, to have a camaraderie within the workplace. And I think the companies that see it that way will be successful and will have a lot of productive, happy workers on their hands. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. And I think you you've covered um, one of the D's about disaster um, preparedness. And could you just tell us briefly some of the lessons learned about disaster preparedness? Yes, just that, you know, we have workplace illness prevention programs. We have like check the box type programs, many organizations, safety programs. But I don't think most places had true disaster preparedness plans, i.e. what if you have to shut down your whole business in less than 24 hours and yeah. totally pivot. So hopefully most places have now developed those plans or are in the process, but more so than developing them one time. Because my, my biggest fear is that we're all comfortable now. We're like, okay, we got past that. Let's go back to life as usual, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to keep in mind, no, 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 something else is going to come about. So let's make sure we, we're revisiting our, our safety plans, our disaster preparedness plans on a regular basis. Let's make sure we are staying on top of the best technology out there in case we have to go back to fully remote work environments. So just being prepared and constantly reviewing and updating, Mm -hmm. I think is going to be important for all organizations. Yeah. Well, Angela, there are so many more topics we could discuss with you. Uh, But I'd really like to hear at this point, I'd like you to give us three pieces of sound advice that you would give any employer that's looking at the lessons learned from the global pandemic and considering the next steps they should take. 
Well, well, thank you so much for having me on the show and, and giving me an opportunity to talk about issues that I'm really passionate about, as are you. I could talk about them all day. But I think that the first lesson is to pause. That's what this entire book is about. If you are a leader in an organization and you, as the leader, have not personally taken time to pause, brought your team together to pause, um, challenged other leaders in the organization to pause, then I think that that's a misstep, that pausing and really reflecting on what this has meant, what how it has changed your workplace forever, then you know you really need to do that. And then upon pausing and reflecting, thinking about what steps you need to play, put in place for your organization and for your team. One, to empower HR, if you haven't already done that, but two, to keep your teams motivated, to let your people know that they're valued, they're important, that you care about them. If you haven't done that, put that in place. I am a firm believer that the individuals that work for our companies are the most important investment we can make in our companies and organization and the most important assets to our company. So pause, um, look at ways to show value and appreciation for the people in the organization. And then finally, you know, plan ahead, think about the future, um, stay abreast of how the workplace is changing, where your organization fits into those changes and move with the times. Don't be, you know, a big cruise ship that it is hard to move, like be a nice, flexible fishing boat that you can move, <laughs> you can get out there in the middle of the storm, you can catch fish, you can continue to deliver. Be, you know, an organization that's flexible and nimble and that really is moving moving with the times and setting trends and not just responding to trends. Great. Well, one important piece of advice is to purchase your book for more in-depth information about lessons learned and steps employers can take as a result of the global pandemic. We'd like to thank you for providing us with so much valuable information and your insight into how the pandemic is transforming today's workplace. There is a link on the Today's Workplace podcast website to more information about your book. And there you can find information about where our listeners can purchase your book. But thank you yes. so much. And they can follow me yeah. on Facebook and Instagram at I am yes. Angela Redock Wright and yeah. on LinkedIn at Angela Redock Wright. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you, Angela. You've been listening to Today's Workplace with Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future updates and episodes. For more information about today's episode, check out todaysworkplace.com. That's T O D A Y S W O R K. P-L-A-C-E dot com.